Our text is Exodus 5. We're going to start at chapter 4, verse 29. So please um, listen, follow along in respect to God's word. We now stand. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw, your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall, not, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They went, <clears throat> they went Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, Excuse me. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, 
The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. May God give us understanding in this portion of Scripture that we read and be preaching through this morning as we continue our series in Exodus. <clears throat> If you would remain standing with me for a word of prayer, after prayer, our choir will come for a special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. Let's bow now in prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word. We pray that you give us understanding in your word today. Make it plain to us and help us in a right application of your truth. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for each one that's gathered here today. We pray, Lord, that you would allow our minds to focus on your truth, not be distracted, and to glean from your word. And your Holy Spirit, give us insight as to what you are saying. We pray for those who could not be with us um, and we pray, Lord, that you would watch over and be with those who, who, who are sick or in other ways are not able to be here. We pray for Brian and for Heidi as they preach this morning in Burlington, that you would be with them and that you would use your word through your servant to, to speak to your people and that you would work in a mighty way in that way. Thank you for this time as we worship and as we fellowship together around your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Last week in our series through Exodus, we looked at chapters 3 and 4, and we saw God's call to Moses, Moses' encounter with God. And in that call, Moses gave several excuses as to why um, he couldn't do what God was asking him to do. And today... We Well, at the end of that portion, he went along and he did what God told him to do. And God told him as a first step to go and talk to the elders, gather the elders of Israel and talk to them. And the signs that God had given him to do, he did with his brother Aaron and displayed before the elders of Israel. And we see the results of that in the last couple of verses of chapter 
uh, 4, verse 29. Uh, so he did these signs, and it says this. In verse 31, the people believed. People is a reference to, to the elders there, because that's the smaller group that he was talking to. They believed. And it says, when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a beautiful sight of starting in just having hope in what God has promised, realizing, as the choir sang the song, God is for us, not against us. Um, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who he says that I am. And by the way, we are who we are because he is who he is. He is the great I am. Therefore, when he's chosen us and sent us, we can have confidence that uh, he's going to accomplish what he decides to accomplish. Now, we know that this story, um, this account of Israel and God bringing himself to deliver them, his people, from their uh, slavery, from their uh, hardship, and from their oppression, is not just a, a good people story. It has a picture in mind. And uh, I, was, I was glad to see our Sunday school class, um, uh, the adult class, go over some of the false preaching and the false teaching that is so prominent uh, in the world today, and they like to take the biblical images. Um, you see, because you, you can go and tell a lie in any kind of way you want to, but when you start using God's word to do that, God's going to hold you accountable. They like to take the biblical images and, and put, it to, to, uh, put it as music to their agenda. And so there's a lot of talk about oppression and a lot of talk about deliverance and being set free, but they don't all have the same picture that the Bible has. The, the thing that the Bible pictures is the oppression that is prominent and, and most uh, hurtful and deadly in our lives, and that comes from our oppressor, Satan. And this is a picture of God's deliverance from sin. Notice the optimism that starts initially when God is going to do a work. We have, uh, you've seen it in your own life when you, when you first uh, uh, get saved and, 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 and you just have this, this joy and this peace and this trust in God that he's, he's working in your life and you're excited about that. Now that's a good excitement. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it has the right of foundation when it's in God. And so this is where Israel starts. The leaders are like, wow, God has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. And he has come finally to deliver us. And they, they worship. That, that's what they do. They bow their heads and they worship. Now, travel with me just one chapter later. Now we come into chapter 5. And so God begins to, to put his plan in place. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment and think 
How exciting. God says he's going to deliver his people, and he told me what I should do. And, and Moses and Aaron, you know, they, 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 they have, there's a zeal and a pep in their step, you know. I could imagine at first it would be a little fearful to march up to Pharaoh and talk to him, but they, it's like they came from the pep rally. Right. And now they're going to the palace and they, you know, it's like, hey, yes, God's going to do this. And they march into into Pharaoh's presence. And look what they say. Thus says the Lord. Who? The God of Israel. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And then verse 2, I use the ESV version, and the first word in that is but. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody didn't get the memo. Pharaoh didn't get it. It said, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? By what authority, Moses and Aaron, do you march up into my throne room and command me to do something? Who? Who is the Lord? This is what Pharaoh says, and this forms the basis of the whole book. He's going to find out who the Lord is. That's the question God wants him to ask. And it's a question that he is going to get the answer to. In fact, all of the world is going to get that answer sooner or later. Sad to say that some are going to be in a position like Pharaoh, who will be hurt by the wrath of God, the judgment of God. They won't enjoy the grace of God. Pharaoh says boldly, without fear, who? You coming up in my face with who? You want me to do what because who told you? That's what he's saying. He, he says boldly, I do not know the Lord. Let me paraphrase. I don't know this Lord you're talking about. We got a lot of gods in Egypt, but ain't none of them told me to let you go. He says, I will not. Let Israel go. Now, you are familiar with the rest of the chapter, and you see there is a battle that's about to happen. But at the start of this battle, Moses goes from this optimism and worship to skepticism and blame. Let's fast forward. To verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Wow. That question should just explode in our mind when we see it. Remember what we were dealing with in the, in the previous chapters? God is showing Moses, his purpose for him. Moses has spent 40 years under 
his, his parents and in, in, in Pharaoh's palace, and he's been brought up. And he thought he knew God's purpose, and he went out and, and he actually killed a man thinking he was doing God's will. And he, he got chased away. He became an exile. Uh, they put the death sentence on him, and he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And in those wilderness, he's wondering, I thought I knew what God wanted me to do, and apparently I don't. God was preparing him in those 40 years. And now at the end of those 40 years, God appears to him um, in a burning bush, and he tells Moses what he wants him to do. And now Moses is excited again. Well, you know, first of all, he, he gives the excuses. Um, but now he... He, he realized that God has a purpose for him, and he goes about to do that purpose. And just like some of us, we get excited about what God wants us to do, and we go all in, and we, we, we have, you know, we just have this vision that it's all going to be easy. And it's just going to happen so easy and so quickly that if we just follow God's word, everything is smooth, and God's there to say, no, it's not going to happen like that. It's not going to happen like this. This reminds me, this scene is, is, is like a sports team in their pregame huddle. The coaches are stoked. The team is excited. The home crowd is going wild before the game starts. The players on the field stir themselves up. They get pepped up and they get energized. They need this energy. It's good. But they need more than just this energy. Because what happens, see, on the first play of the game, let's take baseball, for example. Their best pitcher is on the mound. And he goes and he, he throws his first pitch. He winds up with full confidence, and he throws his best fastball, and it's a strike. Except the opposing batter swings, makes contact, and a ball sails over the left field fence. All the players on the team watch the flight of the ball. Everybody on the bench, coaches and fans, is quiet in the whole stadium as they follow the path of that ball. As that ball comes to rest in the stands, all the players are like, this is going to be a rough game. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. The message here is that you need that excitement and that zeal and that passion as you start this Christian race, as you start this voyage to obey God. But you cannot, that passion, that energy, that zeal is not what's going to carry you through. You're going to face some real challenges that you cannot overcome in your strength. This enemy is real, and he ain't playing. 
And he's got no intentions of releasing his grip of oppression on God's people. The journey towards eliminating oppression will not be easy. Oppressors don't willingly give up oppressing. Deliverance is not going to be achieved by mere negotiation. See, Moses and Aaron went in and they said, hey, we're going to say what God said and, you know, that's going to be it, right? God said this and Pharaoh going to just say, wow, I, I didn't realize I was going against God's will. You mean the God of heaven doesn't want me to oppress his people? Oh, my goodness. I give the order. Let them go right away. Be nice if that happened, but that ain't what's going to happen. Oppressors don't willingly give up oppressing. Deliverance is not achieved by negotiation, but by a de- deliverer who has both the desire to see deliverance and the power and the willingness to do what's necessary to bring deliverance. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, God said this to Moses before he sent him. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not Let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. In other words, you're not just going to talk sweet and have this thing happen. It's not by your power of your words or even the power of your hand or your might. It's going to take a much mightier than that. He continues in verse 20 of chapter 3. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. After that, he will let you go. You see what he's saying here? He says you're going to have a huge battle. God is saying it before it happens. He's letting Moses know I've called you to do something that is impossible for you to do in your own strength. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, so I will. You get it? So I will. This thing that God does is what he does by his power, by his might. If you thought by your will, by your power, that you could resist sin, that you could beat this thing, you were foolish in thinking that. I had to ask, why did God have Moses and Aaron with all this zeal and this fresh, coming from the pep rally, right? And get right up to to the stairway of Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh said, He basically said, get out my face. You know what he said? He said, y'all got too much time on y'all hand. Really? He said, look, 
called his, 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 his people under him and said, look, here's what I want you to do. These Israelites coming up in my face talking about let them go. Pile on the work. Tell them I want them to do just the same amount they were doing, except now they got to get their own materials. Pharaoh knew exactly what he was doing. And he hit them where it hurt. Oftentimes when we begin to do God's will, our way gets tougher and more complicated. As a young preacher, I was ready to do God's will, and I thought, Lord, if you just put me in a pulpit and let me preach, then we'll just see. You know, folks are just going to fall down and worship you. All oppression and opposition is just going to clear out of the way. You're going to pave a new way, and you're going to make new you're going to make changes, and, and a community is going to be changed. A church is going to be changed. A city is going to be changed. A nation is going to be changed. We're going to, we're going to see revival all over the place. And God was saying, I got the power to do that. But it's not because of you or anybody with you or any power that they have. It's going to be by my mighty hand that things get done. First Corinthians chapter one talks about God using um, small things, weak things, foolish things even. And he tells the purpose of that so that the glory might be his. Some of us just don't think that this enemy is real powerful. I mean, we think we can be good on our own. We think if we just, you know, make a few changes in our life, we're okay. And we're good to go. All this stuff about sin affects other people. It doesn't really take its root in my life. I ain't too worried about it. It's the other people that it's affecting. And God is... Driving a point home. Satan is the oppressor. Before I get to that, I just want to talk about, I asked the question, why did God do this? Why did God send Moses and Aaron to, to, to right up to the doorstep of Pharaoh, only to hear Pharaoh reject them and then kicked them out, and, and, and then the work and the load on God's people becomes so much heavier, they can't even bear it. And at the end of that, they're coming to Pharaoh and Moses and said, what, what did y'all got? What did y'all do? Why did y'all go up to Pharaoh and get them mad? That's, that's just what we needed. You know, people, they, got, they were beaten because of this. You talk about hardships. It says the, the foremen that were over the people were beaten. And after they were beaten, then they asked, well, what, what you beat me for? It says, because y'all ain't doing the work. Well, well, wait a minute. Last week, we did all this work. And here was the, here was the agreement that we had. We, we kept our side. And now all of a sudden, you're changing it. He said, yeah, we changed it. You got too much time on your hand talking about going off on worship. 
And so they beat them. And so now they go back to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, what's up, man? You know, we're trying to do our best. Pharaoh tells them what's happening. And now they confront Moses and Aaron. And they're like, what did y'all think y'all were doing? Now, notice how things change. Before, they were bowing, worshiping God because God has sent a deliverance. Now, they're basically telling Moses and Aaron, blaming them. And it's interesting the conversation that Moses himself has with God. Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? God did this to test his faith. To test his faith. Some of the things happen in your life so that your faith will be tested. Now, God's not just playing a game. What he's doing is this. He wants you to know that he is going to do exactly what he promised. And when he does it, he will have accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Now, let's put this in the right perspective. Sin is what oppresses mankind. And Satan is the oppressor. Satan oppresses God's creation, and his target is mankind. If you look at Romans 8, you realize it's all the creation that's under the strain of sin. But the target for that is mankind, it's human beings. Skillful negotiation is not going to settle the matter and end Satan's oppression. In fact, negotiation does not work without power behind it. Listen closely to, to what, that, what I'm saying. You understand what it means. You're not going to get freedom from sin, from any oppressor, by negotiating a settlement with it. That's not how it ends. God is showing that it's his power that's behind this negotiation. So he sends Moses and Aaron to give his command, but it's God's power behind it that's going to drive that point home. What's the picture? Because a lot of people want to use this for, for their political agenda and for their context, and they get it wrong. Because God is showing, look, the greatest oppressor that we have is the sin that oppresses us. And the only savior to that is what God has sent, his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to take the chain of oppression off of us. In fact, let me describe it another way. This sin, this oppression, um, it's like a choke chain that we use on powerful dogs. You put a choke chain so that you can control that dog 
And when he wants to go that way and you want to go this way, you simply walk this way. And he finally gets to the end of that chain and realizes, I can't fight this anymore. The more he fights, the stronger the grip it makes around his neck. Satan has a grip around mankind. And when we try to fight that in our own power, he simply tightens the grip. That's what Moses was, was seeing happening that uh, Pharaoh was just saying, hey, I'm just going to make things tougher for you. What's needed is somebody who is going to battle the person holding the chain. That's what has to happen. And that's what God does with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes and he addresses and he attacks Satan himself. to deal with our oppression. I thought about this, how negotiation without power behind it doesn't work. If I'm driving my car and a bad guy with a gun approaches my car at an intersection and wants to carjack me, I can reason with that person. Perhaps I'll convince him that, hey, I'm a pastor, harmless guy, and all I want to do is go to church. And in the process of going to church, I'm going to pray for you. Perhaps I'll tell him I just bought this car and I really enjoy it and I'd like to keep it. Perhaps I'll show him how nice I am and I'll even offer to give him a ride in my car. Perhaps I show him how he can trust Christ, learn to work, and earn and buy his own car. It's unlikely that any of these arguments will dissuade him from his evil intent. But perhaps I show him my gun and tell him I'm a pastor with a gun. I don't want to use it. I prefer not to. But I like to be able to go peaceably to church so I can pray for him and his community. Perhaps if I show him my gun, close up and tell him I just bought this car and I plan on keeping it. Now perhaps he's not persuaded by my mere words no matter how sincere, passionate, or reasonable they may be. But he's persuaded by sheer force. He may not think I'm a nice person he may not think anything that I'm telling the truth, but he sees that pointed towards his face, and he knows I mean business. So mere negotiation without some force behind it does not dissuade evil. 
It's the power of God that challenges evil and puts it in its place and overcomes it. God, by his power, is going to put Satan in his place. The picture of Exodus is a God who's going to show Pharaoh, the one who said, who is this God? He's going to show him who's God. And he's going to show him the power of God. You see, there's a part of the gospel that people today too often ignore. There is the grace of God and there is the judgment of God. And in our kind ways and thoughts, we think that just by being nice to people and not, um, uh, not offending them, we would bombard them with the grace of God and we have ignored the judgment of God. God is going to judge sin, and that's why we urge people to turn from their sin and to turn to him. What we've turned the gospel into is, hey, just be nice. God likes nice people, and he'll be good to you. That is not the gospel. Moses and Aaron were to tell Pharaoh this message. God has commanded you to let my people go. Now, of course, Pharaoh, he, that doesn't mean anything to him. He's like, God? What God? Who? I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to double down on these people. And that's what he does. But God is going to step up and show him his power and his might, and at the same time, show his grace and his love towards his people. I want you to see them both. It's his grace and his love towards his people that he says, I will not allow my people to be under this oppression. I will deliver them, and in delivering them, I will destroy the oppressor. Some of us picture God as he just will not bring any type of judgment at all. You need to read your Bible. You need to see this God has come and he means business. And he will deal with all sin and destroy it. Yes, the powerful, the rulers of this world mock at God. And saying, who is this one? God says, I will show you who I am. Either you can believe and turn to me, or you can see my work and be destroyed by my judgment. The other part of this is the grace of God that releases us from the bondage of sin. There is no other power available to us today or to anybody anywhere in any time that releases from the power of sin. There's no other deliverance that can release us from the bondage 
of sin. You know, sometimes we think of sin as, as you know, there are drug dealers, there are murderers, there are child abusers, and those are the sinners. And then there's just us regular people that really don't need saving from sin. But God needs to give you a picture of yourself. He's given me a picture of myself to see that my mind and my thought is wicked from within and God needs to deliver and to save me from that sin. God is the only power that can do that. And he willingly comes to deliver, to save his people from their sin. You know, when you first turn to Christ, you, 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 you have this zeal and this passion and you have these rose-colored glasses and you think that the whole world is going to change. And if you would just be nice and talk to people, everything's going to be sweet and nice and change. But it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Can you imagine Moses and Aaron on their way back? They have gone from worship and optimism to confusion and now blaming God. God, this ain't the world that I pictured. God says, I told you this was going to happen. I made it clear to you that as you present my truth, it's going to be rejected. And I'm going to step in with a mighty hand and bring deliverance. So, you know, we, we, God is t teaching us when we come and we, we experience God and we come to trust in him, we can get a picture of things that is not in line with what he says and what he will do. We can think that this deliverance is going to come easy. And God is sure to tell us that it's not going to come easy. But it's going to come by his mighty hand. What, what should that do for us in a practical sense? What, what, what frame of mind should that put us in? It should put us in a mind of appreciating God's grace and his judgment and his power. Embracing that. Go, go back to chapter 4 where they worshiped when God says, I'm going to keep my promise. I've made this promise to you, to your forefathers all along, and I'm stepping in to keep that promise. The same passion and zeal and hope they had that God would come to deliver them is the same they should now. They should only see it, though, that this is a mighty work that God is doing. And only he can do it. Only he can bring it about. It is Jesus and only through Jesus that my sin is dealt with. It's no other means that brings me that deliverance. It, it should cause me to, to adore and worship this deliverance that God brings, that God brings through his son, Jesus. Back in chapter 3, verse uh, 19 and 20, when he says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. He is saying, I'm going to accomplish this by my power. 
That power is shown, shown in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to defeat Satan by his death on the cross. We embrace what Jesus did. He is our hope. He is our Savior. We're not looking for a false deliverance. We're not looking for a political uh, deliverance. We're not looking for economical, economic deliverance. We're not even looking for health and safety. We're looking for what Jesus alone provides. Would you praise God for what Jesus has done? Would you trust in what Jesus has done? Would you know that God is working a mighty work through his son, Jesus? And, and, and now he's working that out in us. Living this life is not an easy life. It's, 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 we're, we're traveling through the, the, the wilderness. We're traveling through uh, sin is all around us. But yet God's protection is with us and we continue to trust in him. So many people do like I did when I was five years old and I first learned to ride a bike. We had a long sidewalk in front of our house and I don't know who it was at the time, the older brothers or uh, put me on a bike and they kind of pushed me along and got me going. And as you're going fast, you know that as, you, as your wheels are spinning and you're going good, it's easy to keep your balance. You just keep on pedaling and you're going straight. But the problem came when I got to that tree at the end of our property and I had to turn around. So I started to slow down and as I started to turn around, I got scared because I was going to lose my balance. That's when I found out I needed a little bit more skill in managing that bike. I thought that after they had gave me a push and got me along, I'm like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm cool. I don't need y'all no more. Oops. <laughs> God is saying we need him not just to get us started, but all along the path. We need to trust in him. We need to walk with him. We need to turn to him in our every step. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you make it plain to our hearts. It is your power that frees us from sin. You've done that through the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to turn to him, to trust in him, and then to walk in him for that deliverance that you promise. You've also promised that the oppressor will continue to oppress until he's completely defeated. You have loosened his grip on us so that he no longer controls us. We are under your control now. But we still live in a world where he is oppressing all around us. And so we need to stay close to you. We need to walk with you. We need not think that we're good to go on our own. So, Lord, we pray that you just make that message, cement that message in our hearts that we turn to you, trust you, and never turn away from you. Speak to your, the hearts of your people that you're calling to yourself right now. They might delight in your deliverance, in the work that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. <laughs>